Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, as we open up the Word together, this is an opportunity for us to worship by getting into the Word. We have opportunities to worship as we pray together, as we sing together. These are all part of worship, and so this is another form of that. Um, We're going to be looking in the book of Joel, so if you're like, I'm not really sure where that is, one of the larger books by it is Ezekiel, and then if you go a couple books past that, you'll find this small three-chapter book. We've been in it for several weeks now, and we're going to continue that study in Joel. He's one of the prophets from the Old Testament, and maybe you're just joining us this week, and this is your first opportunity to hear something from it, or maybe you've missed a past message, or you just want a refresher and a recap. So I'll get you up to speed. But I've got a story. So back in 2017, Super Bowl 51 took place in Houston, Texas. It will go down as probably the first in several categories as a Super Bowl. The New England Patriots come in with the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. The only ones that thought the Atlanta, Bra- or Atlanta Falcons would win were the Falcons fans. Sure, many of us hoped Atlanta would pull off a win. However, the team predicted New England to win was down by 25 points in the middle of the third quarter with only a 1% chance to win. But as many of you may remember, New England mounts a fierce comeback and tied the game with 57 seconds remaining. It goes to overtime, and the Patriots win the toss, and they take four minutes, eight plays, and 75 yards for a touchdown to win the game. Well, why do I tell you that story? Yes, I like football, but the nation of Israel were God's chosen people. They had conquered. They expected to win. Nobody thought they could beat them, and they, nobody, and they didn't think they'd ever be overcome. However... Because of their disobedience or bad play, they were down and out with no hope of coming out victorious on the other side. But Joel in our passage today shows them that they will be uh, victorious in the end. But they need to get back to the heart that is devoted to God. And when they do that, God has a plan for victory even in the jaws of defeat. It's not known exactly when the book of Joel was written, but it's clear from content um, that it was written for the southern kingdom called Judah. During this time, God had sent prophets like Joel to speak God's truth, which for the most part they rejected and walked away from after many warnings to return to God. But you know, just as we are called by God to be faithful followers of his, so were the southern and northern kingdoms. But just like us, our disobedience has brought them and us upon difficult times. So in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching us what is true. It corrects us and teaches us to do what is right. See, the purpose of all scripture, Old and New Testament, is to point us and to teach us about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So, let's walk through Joel quickly of where we've been. Well, in chapter 1, God calls us to weep, to lament, 
to feel great sorrow, but yet pray for joy to come. God brings and allows difficulty and trials into their lives. And I would say into our lives as a consequence to our sin. And really our continual disobedience, and then for them, it was their continual disobedience. I believe God still allows pain and difficulty today in our lives. Since, if we're honest, we depend on ourselves and have turned away from God in his ways. But you know, God does this to wake us up, to get our attention back on him. And then in the second half of chapter 2, we see that there's this, a change of heart brings the change we need. Change can happen in several ways. But see, it begins with a humble heart, a contrite heart, a spirit that is willing. It's not something that can be manipulated. We see God calls these priests of Joel's time to model, to show the people what it means to be a faithful follower of God. They were called to fast, to pray, to cry out to God, and to confess their disobedience and sin to God so that real change and transformation could happen. And then in chapter 2, Joel shifts a little bit and his words, he sees there's this impending darkness and judgment that's coming. But the critical question that is really asked is, am I my own authority? Really asking the question, who's in charge? And so Joel emphasizes that judgment is near. And he references the day of the Lord, which we're going to unpack in our passage today. But in the middle section of Joel chapter 2, as we're called as faithful followers, just again as the Israelites are, we need to turn back to God. Or in our case, we've got to turn back to Jesus again. We are repeat offenders. I am a repeat offender of God's law and subject to the consequences of that repeated sin and disobedience. Judah now seems to be longing for what we have, what Jesus Christ provides through his perfect life, his death on the cross for our sins and the victory over that sin in his resurrection. We read in Joel 2, just a little bit before the passage we're going to be looking at, in uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, Not even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Listen to this. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And lastly, he relents over disaster. That's the result when we faithfully follow. Last week, we began to see the unpacking of a more hopeful tone from Joel. It's clear that God will bring change and joy now and forever. But currently, they weren't experiencing it. Joel, as people are hearing, they're not experiencing it. And it's because of their disobedience. But it's also clear that God has been at work in the past, currently as they were living, and will ultimately in the future. But that doesn't negate, again, the consequences of their disobedience. As Pastor Matt said last week, Jesus promises us satisfaction and happiness because he gives us himself. 
However, for a faithful follower of Jesus, we can experience change, transformation, and joy right now in Jesus Christ. So open up with me to chapter 2 and then kind of the later part of it, verses 28 through 32, and follow along. If you also, uh, you'll see a note that this same passage is verbatim in Acts 2, 16 and following by the Apostle Peter. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion... And in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those who the Lord calls. So in this passage, we notice a significant change. As one writer puts it, we see a promise of a glorious future that brings spiritual renewal and deliverance. So, as a faithful follower of Christ, we're promised spiritual renewal and deliverance. That's some pretty good news. Joel now will develop kind of this idea of the doctrine of last things, um, kind of the elements of the Lord's promises. And, he, and we start just a little bit before in, uh, in Joel 2, 19 and 20, we see that God promises to bring them um, grain, wine, oil, the things they, that are necessary for living. And he will drive out the invaders and the enemies of the time. Joel 28 that we just read will come to pass afterwards. So we see that it's coming. It's not there yet. And then Joel 3, 1, in those days. Again, future. And then Joel 3, 18, in that day. Again, a reference to the day of the Lord. The deliverance experienced by Joel's generation really foreshadows, I think, that of the end times we read about in Scripture. The day of the Lord will come in full force against the enemies of God. That's what scripture says. Which is anyone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 28 and 29, we really see something incredible, something super new um, at that time. God pours out his spirit to all inhabitants of Judah. And it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young, and young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. See, this was unprecedented. We see throughout the Old Testament that God sends the spirit to really a limited number of people. The largest group was a, a group of 72 elders in Numbers 11 along with Moses. However, even in that outpouring, it was not permanent. And then we see in 1 Samuel 16 that the Spirit of the Lord came down on David, the king. The Spirit of the Lord came upon certain judges, warriors, and prophets. But it was always temporary. 
In Ezekiel 36, we, we see scripture promising that someday God would put his spirit in his people in a way that would cause them to live according to his laws and commands. Those of us that know Jesus and have trusted in him for our salvation, we have that spirit living in us right now. Romans 8 it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through, listen to this, his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus was the fulfillment of Joel's passage in Ezekiel 36 along with others. But see, something that I hadn't noticed before is that when the Spirit shows up, we see divine blessing. But the inverse seems to be true. When the Spirit is absent, we do see destruction, pain, and despair. But think of the life of the first king of Israel, Saul. He was anointed king, given the Spirit, but because he walked away from God's commands and ways, the Spirit of God was taken away from him, and he was left to his own destructive ways. See, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he's a pretty big deal. But you know, it seems like he's kind of the forgotten God. The Holy Spirit is critical to us that have placed our faith in Jesus. The Spirit's not a thing like the Force in Star Wars you know, series or, or a ghost of some type. So here are just a handful of things I would like you to remember and remind yourself of, to know and understand about the Holy Spirit. And of course, this list is nowhere near exhaustive. He is called and considered God, Acts 5, Hebrews 3. He is equal to God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, Matthew 28, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 2. He is eternal, Hebrews 9. He is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, Psalm 139. All-knowing, 1 Corinthians 2, John 14. He enabled the writing of the Bible, God's Word, 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 1. He intercedes to God on our behalf, Romans 8. He helps us to understand God's Word, Luke 24. He helps us to live according to God's Word, John 16. And he is the giver of spiritual gifts to all believers. 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, sorry, maybe I feel like I got a little carried away, but I think you get the point. The Spirit's a big deal. And so in Joel and the other Old Testament books, the Spirit worked in specific ways for a limited period of time and a limited number of people. Now in the New Testament and in the New Covenant in Jesus Christ, all those that have placed their faith in Jesus, this is the great news. We have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So when Joel spoke of the Spirit this way, the people of his time, they were a bit confused, I'm sure. Because nothing like this had ever happened before. So have you ever considered what it means to have the Spirit living in you? I remember back in my youth pastor days, I would ask the students, get ready for this, how fruity were they? Yeah, you guys got other ideas, but it'll work for you too. But this question ultimately was a way to evaluate if you were living out the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
where it says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I would ask them to place a number next to each based on how they see them using those gifts in their life. But have you ever thought when you see somebody that really is living in the power of the Spirit, there's something that you are attracted to naturally. Because there's something totally different about them. But somebody that doesn't live that way, often we stay clear of them because they're not pleasant to be around. And an often ver- a verse that's often not quoted when we talk about the Spirit is Galatians 5.23, which I think really is what the whole point of it is. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That means we need to be obedient. The idea is that we need to rely on the Spirit to do His work in us and through us. We tend to love, well, I know I do. I tend to love to try to do things myself. And then when that doesn't work, oh, hey, God, could you help me? Prioritize going to God first. If you have a chance this week, just write out the fruit of the Spirit and and see how you're doing. It might be a little convicting, I know. But here's the thing. Ask the Spirit to help you to be more like him. In many of your Bibles, you'll see, and I mentioned it earlier, a cross-reference to Acts 2 for Joel 2, 28 through 32. The Apostle Peter quotes Joel 2 verbatim, like exactly, to basically show that what Joel spoke of years before is now happening. Peter explains to the people that what is happening is not the work of man, but of the Spirit coming and indwelling in all believers. When the Spirit arrives in Acts 2, he's not ever leaving. He's not there temporarily. The amazing part of that story is that the Spirit is in these people's lives. He is using them. And then the result of it is the people that witnessed it, 3,000 of them accept Jesus and then receive the Spirit. So as a faithful follower of Jesus, we are given the precious gift, precious gift of the Holy Spirit that was only possible through, listen to this, the perfect life of Jesus, his horrific death on our behalf, and his magnificent resurrection. We see in the new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ that a new era of the Spirit has also come to all those that put their faith in Jesus. One author puts it this way, all, and he's referring to those that that believe, within the new covenant community are given the spirit as the seal, the down payment, and the guarantee of their promised inheritance. To be united to Jesus is to have the spirit. To not have the spirit is to not have Christ or be his people. All this really is really good news for us. But as we move into the next verses of Joel 2, the reality of what will happen is hard not to miss. It really kind of smacks us in the face. There's a great hope and deliverance for those that are in Christ Jesus, but then there's this severe and permanent judgment for those who reject Jesus and his message. Verse 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, Blood and fire and column of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord will come. 
That's what we need to remember. I believe Joel intentionally uses the word wonders, which would point the Israelites, and even to us as we read, their history of the Exodus. There were many signs and wonders that occurred from the plagues of the pillar of fire. But it would also point them, and even us now, to the judgments that God brought down on the Israelites for their disobedience. So let's not forget that God is powerful, all-powerful. He is sovereign over everything. He has no rival. He has no match. God will always, and this is important to remember, God will always do what is right and just. But he will also combine that with his character that is of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So in verse 30, Joel and, and Peter and Acts 2 point both to God's sovereignty because God's wonders will not just be here on earth, but in the heavens. In Luke 21.11, Jesus says, There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So even Jesus speaks of it. We see that John in writing in Revelation 8.12 that he refers to most likely the day of the Lord. The judgment is coming for those that don't believe in Jesus. Hopefully you'll notice that Joel picks up some similar phrasing um, if you were here before in Joel 2.11. Because again, he uses that whole great and very awesome day. You know, this day of the Lord mentioned will show the greatness of God and will cause all people watching to stand in awe or bow. It will be like nothing they have ever seen happen before. See, we often hear the day of the Lord referenced sometimes in scripture, songs, sermons. But what is it really referring to? Well, the day is first to be understood, I would say, is more of an event. But it's referring really to two main things. One, the ultimate time when God will punish and restore the whole world through Jesus Christ's first and second comings. The second is the last days. It's this reference to the uh, next to last days that unrepentant sinners, for instance, should fear the day of the Lord. But the good news is those forgiven in Jesus are redeemed and can look forward to it with hope, not judgment. And so as Joel continues his words from verse 14 that only those who repent and seek the Lord in the, in the, in the present have any hope for shelter when the judgment of God comes in the future. And so now he concludes in verse 32 and, and, he's, and, and we see again another shift and it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So essence of this last verse is really simple. You must reject or accept Really, the choice is up to you. This verse and many in the gospel make it very simple. You have a choice to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord or reject him. 
Everyone must make this choice. Not making a choice is not an option. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. You can do that from where you're sitting or watching this. You can do it right now. Well, at this time of universal judgment that uh, we see Joel talking about, everyone who calls or invokes, kind of, uh, you know, calls on or invokes the name of the Lord will be saved. It's important to realize that everyone does not refer to all people, but to the people indwelled by the Spirit of God, mentioned earlier. But later in Romans 10, verse 13, Paul quotes Joel 2, 32. When he relates this passage to illustrating that not just the Jews, God's chosen people, but the Gentiles, all non-Jews, will be saved when they call on the name of the Lord. But Joel continues with, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. Well, when the day of the Lord happens, Jerusalem will be a place of refuge, actual Jerusalem, for the survivors, which would again be those that we read about earlier in this passage. It's important to recognize, though, that Joel's prophecy of what was to come is to be a warning to those that are walking in their own ways, apart from the Holy Spirit. But it should be an encouragement to us and to those at that time as they walk and place their faith in Jesus and they wait expectantly for him to come. But did you notice that despite the Israelites' disobedience, that God is willing to show mercy, to show his grace, to show forgiveness when they come back to him? The reality of this truth should encourage us to abide in Jesus every day. Grow to be more like him in the power of his spirit that lives in us. And when we stray, just as we sung early, run to the Father. Run back to him. Run back to his loving arms. One author concluded it this way. Without repentance, judgment will be harsh, thorough, and certain. Our trust should not be in our possessions, but in the Lord our God. God at times may use nature, sorrow, and other common occurrences to draw us closer to him. But in his mercy and grace, he has provided the definitive plan for our salvation. Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins and exchanging our sin for his perfect righteousness. There's no time to lose. God's judgment will come swiftly as a thief does in the night. And we must be ready. Today is the day of salvation. And as it says in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Only by appropriately, <clears throat> I'm sorry, appropriating God's salvation can we escape his wrath on the day of the Lord. 
So I want you to think through the people you are closest to. When the day of the Lord comes, or, they pass, or they're passing from this life, what side are they on? Jesus has called us to go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us, though, at the end of that, in verse 20, that he will be with us every step of the way. So when was the last time, and I have to ask myself this question too, that I've had a good gospel conversation with someone to tell them about the hope you have? Their eternity is in the balance. Will you trust Christ and share with others that don't know and allow the Spirit to work in their lives? See, God promise of spiritual re- God's promise of spiritual renewal and deliverance is a gift of his love for us. Since God is faithful, he will give us permanent and perfect spiritual renewal and deliverance from an eternity separated from God. Let's pray. God, thank you for providing your perfect son, Jesus Christ, as the punishment for our sins. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that dwells in all of us that have placed our faith and believe in Jesus. We pray that we would wait expectantly for Jesus' second coming. But while we wait, while we do that, while we live our life, Lord, may we live it according to your ways and your will. And Lord, please give us a heart for the lost, those that do not yet know you. May they come to know you. Because Lord, we don't want to see them judged. We want to see them with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.